0: I don't know about you, but I have never seen anyone smile in real life like people do in adverts. Nor have I met many families that interact as perfectly as they do in commercials. Seemingly because a new mobile phone or broadband product, a new sofa or car, or even a different improved recipe at KFC has brought instant joy and complete happiness. It's a bit like what I call the classic FM smile. Odd I know to talk about a smile on a radio station, but I have found myself wondering to the presenters over the years whether they are told to speak as though they're smiling the whole time. That's the only way I can square how Alexander Armstrong on Pointless sounds completely different to Alexander Armstrong on Classic FM. They barely sound like the same person. I think because he's, they're told to smile the whole time into the microphone. All of these smiles, all of these perfect families of different descriptions, they are selling us something. Selling us the idea that a new product can make us smile as well, that that it can bring a similarly instant joy and complete happiness to our households as well. Now we all know it's rubbish and yet somehow it works. The amount spent last year in the UK on advertising was a staggering 32 billion pounds. That's somewhere between a quarter and a third of what was spent on the NHS. Clearly, businesses would not be spending that out amount of money if there was no return. So we all know it's rubbish, but somehow it works. Why does it work? Simply because it taps into our covetousness. It makes us, provokes us to want things. The lifestyles and the holidays and the products other people have. The instant joy and complete happiness that advertising sells us. And that's my first point. Coveting sows discontent. It sows discontent. What does it mean to covet? Simply to want something that is not ours. As the 10th commandment read from Deuteronomy this time has it, Coveting means to set our desire on something, something that doesn't belong to us. Not just to want it, but to set our souls in motion towards it. In a sense, commandments six to nine against murder, adultery, theft, false testimony challenges about our wrong attitudes to our neighbors. But the tenth commandment challenges the heart. The intention, the desire that sets all of those wrong actions in motion, it challenges them at the root. And it challenges that being right with God can never just be about outward actions, it has to also be about the heart. Coveting is not just wanting something, it's being drawn to pursue something that isn't ours. Those radiant smiles in adverts, those perfect happy households are all drawing us to pursue what they're selling. We know it's rubbish, yet it works. They're all setting our souls towards something that doesn't belong to us and whispering that we should have it. It's holding up a mirror to our lives. It's telling us, look, see what your life could look like. That could be in your pocket. You could be driving this or wearing that. Imagine how happy your family could be in a house like this. Or see, you could look this good. Or dream that your spouse could look that good. Or even worse, that someone else who looks like this could be holding your hand. That's why coveting is such a problem. It sows or it grows discontent within us. It provokes us to be dissatisfied with ourselves, dissatisfied with our lifestyle, dissatisfied with our relationships. It's rotten stuff because it gnaws away at our contentment. It's not just seeing something, a passing person who briefly catches your eye maybe. It's setting your heart towards what you see. It's pursuing that desire, giving a life, breathing it into being. Coveting matters because it sows and it grows discontent in us. It doesn't just sow discontent in us, it also sows competition in us. It sows mistrust. It makes us measure ourselves by what we do not have and by what others do. Rather than focusing what God has blessed us with, we find ourselves focused on what we want. And in a way, that is the beginning of all sin. Because it's the same temptation that was there in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were allowed to eat from any tree but one. Everything was theirs apart from that one tree. Yet the enemy gets them to focus not on all they had, not on the extravagant, boundless provision, but on the one restraint upon them, on the one thing they could not have. So they weren't, ex- weren't focusing on the massive extent of their freedom, but on its one single limitation. So in a way, coveting was the first sin, the first sin that unleashes all the others because they set their hearts on what was not theirs. They focused on what they did not have rather than the abundance of blessings all around them. I wonder if you measure yourself by what you have and others do not, by what you don't have and others do, Two of my uncles bought their largest houses in retirement, long after their children had left home. One bought a prestigious Georgian property built on three stories overlooking a market square with about seven bedrooms when there were two of them in the house. It was a statement about the success of his life. And having spoken at his funeral and to his sons, I know now much more than I did about what was driving him from his background, but I fear he was measuring himself by what he had because he'd been told he'd never amount to anything. He'd faced the hostility of his father throughout his life. My great uncle Harold married several times. Surprisingly, three of those relationships were in his retirement. He was, I am ashamed to tell you, the family gigolo. And before you even begin to picture some Valentino or a Clooney or a Brad Pitt, depending on generation, he was about five foot with extremely big ears and it was a mystery to all of us. But he was measuring himself by what he had gained. He insisted in his will that the total value of his estate must be published in the Daily Telegraph that he was a millionaire, no matter that much of it had been acquired from the estates of several women with whom he'd been involved. To Harold, it still counted. He was measuring himself by what he'd gained. Focusing on that one restraint, the one tree they couldn't touch, caused Eve and Adam to mistrust God. It caused a complete break in their relationship, setting our hearts on other people's partners or spouses, setting our hearts on their homes, envying their relationships, the way they make their their living, all of these sow mistrust and competition in relationships. So many of these things become a competitive way of keeping score. It's hard to be at ease with one another when we're coveting what another has. Hard to be in good relationship, we won't covet someone else's family or spouse or lifestyle. If we cannot rejoice in how someone else has been blessed, then we sow mistrust in relationships and we risk becoming embittered. As our reading from James points out verses one to three, coveting leads to broken relationships. Yes, maybe James is exaggerating to make a point, but he's telling us that unchecked desire leads to strife, that coveting what others have leads to quarrels, and that pursuing what the world dangles in front of us in that 32 billion pounds of advertising can even lead to distance in our relationship with God. That's what it did for Adam and Eve. Coveting sows competition and mistrust in relationship. It sows disunity in community. Coveting sows discontent. It sows mistrust and competition. And third, coveting undermines trust in God. Hebrews 13.5 tells us, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. If we trust God, if we're in that place of peaceful trust with God, we do not have to covet. Now the alternative to coveting is not asceticism or monasticism, it's not doing without everything, it's not adopting a lifestyle in which there is never anything nice, never anything lovely or beautiful. That is to deny the goodness of all creation, it's to deny the goodness of God our Father. So not coveting doesn't mean having nothing. Not coveting doesn't mean never having a slice of lemon, lemon drizzle ever again. The alternative to coveting is trusting. Trusting God to provide, trusting that God is a good father, trusting in the words of Matthew 7:11 that he is a, a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. Trusting he's a good father who knows the difference between all bran and a chocolate brownie and who knows that man does not live by bran alone. And that means in trusting, uh, putting our trust in God, Trusting him by bringing our requests. Trusting by asking and seeking and knocking. Trusting that he will give good gifts. Trusting that he knows what we need. Trusting by praying and keeping on praying. And trusting that there is a purpose, even when we've been waiting a long time, to see his purpose fulfilled. Sometimes, as James makes clear in verse 3 of chapter 4, we don't receive because we're really coveting in prayer. We're wanting to be given stuff, stuff that we want, that we're not at all praying for God's glory. But the key to breakthrough in prayer is not just persistence, not just keeping at asking and seeking and knocking. The key is praying in line with God's promises, praying in ways we know that God wants to answer. Deuteronomy 5.21 tells us that coveting is setting our desires on something. But in a way, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus tells us what we should covet. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. So Jesus is telling us in a way to covet the kingdom of God to set all our desires on it, to pursue it as of first importance, trusting that then everything else we need will be given to us, everything else will find its proper place. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness means coveting his kingly reign in our lives, coveting his right way to live, coveting kingdom breakthrough in our lives. When we covet these, when we pursue them, when we set all our desire on God's way, then we will see God's kingly reign in our lives. Then we will see a much greater measure of God's presence and power amongst us. Then we will see God's kingly reign at work in our church, our households, our community. Coveting what our neighbors have, whether that's their partners, spouses, households, livelihoods, possessions, or even their eyelashes or their Instagram reel. Coveting what our neighbors have is refusing to trust God. It's a sign that we are being bent out of shape. It's placing ourselves and our desires at the center. But coveting God's kingdom... Seeking that as of first importance in everything is the most radical choice that we can make. It gets us into right alignment. Coveting the kingdom means trusting God in everything and pursuing his purpose come what may. So coveting sows discontent in us. Coveting sows competition and mistrust in relationship. Coveting in is in one way with Adam and Eve where sin begins. Because coveting sows mistrust in God. The alternative is to covet the kingdom of God, to set our whole desire upon that, trusting that everything else we need will fall into place. Even as I wrote them, I found these hard and challenging words. I want to remind us, though, of how our passage from James ends, which I thought Heather read beautifully. Yes, it challenges us to put things right with God. Yes, it challenges us once more to choose to be a friend of God, but it also promises us that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Promises us that when we submit to God and resist the enemy, he will flee from us. Promises us that evil as we humble ourselves, God who opposes the proud will lift us up, will show us renewed favor. So even if you know that coveting is a problem, whether that's someone else's relationships, lifestyles, gifts, friendships, even if you know coveting has made you mistrust others, even if you know there's stuff to put right here, remember these words, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And I'd also like to remind you again of Jesus' words. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So I want to encourage you to covet the kingdom, to set your whole desire upon it. That is the very best antidote to coveting other things. And when we covet the kingdom of God, God's spirit moves, moves within us, moves through us, abides in power within our fellowship and spills out into the world around us. So covet the kingdom of God. Look beyond what other people have. Trust God as a good father who gives good gifts and covet everything that God has for his people. Be hungry, hungry for the kingdom of God. Amen.